We have been in um, series Romans, a letter from the Apostle Paul, where we're walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. Uh, first, good morning, everybody. Um, if you are a guest today, uh, whether in person or online, um, welcome. I'm Ryan. I'm the pastor here at Anchor Church. It's so great to have you. Uh, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. Here at Anchor Church, one of our um, core values is learning. We want to be students of the Word of God. And, and I thought there's no better way to do that than to just go through go through the Bible verse by verse to understand what it means. Not just know what it says, but understand what it means. So that's what we've been doing in the book of Romans. And um, it has been a roller coaster ride so far going through Romans. The, the, first, the first week was all about the good news and how the good news of God is that everybody can be made right in the sight of God. Everybody can. And it's by faith and faith alone from start to finish great news. But then the next week, the Apostle Paul started getting real heavy and he started talking about how idolatry is humanity's sin and how we've, we've placed other things on the throne of our heart than God and, and just kind of walked through that, walked through uh, the secret life thing and walked through how, how um, hip hypocrisy is something we deal with and how we need to focus on our own walk with God and not other people's walk with God. Last week, we talked about God's faithfulness. And that God is always faithful. He's always true. That, that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That kind of thing. Well, today um, we are um, we're going to jump back into Romans. And um, it's, it's another heavy, it's another heavy um, portion. Because the Apostle Paul is making his final arguments in his case against humanity. In the case of our, uh, God against God versus humanity. So um, we're going to dive in. But before I do, I have a story I wanted to share with you. I always, I always try to share a story. This is a, a true story, okay? This happened in my life, so you can ridicule me for it later. Um, when I was in high school, I liked to get into trouble. I liked to cause trouble. Um, not like jail time type trouble, right? Like I, I didn't go that far, but like I like to cause grief to make my friends laugh type trouble. Okay, and one day, me and my friends came up with this scheme um, that was going to be, like, hilarious. And we were going we to make everybody in the school laugh. And um, we decided that we were going to rob a snack cart in our school. So there was a break time in our school where the school would set up these individual carts where they would just sell, like, little, little Debbie snack cakes and milk cartons and, and you know, that kind of thing. We thought it would be funny if we pulled off this heist. We would wear masks, and we would run up and take stuff from the cart and run away and that kind of thing. thought it would be hilarious. So um, we planned it all out, and the day came. It was time to do our thing. So me and two of my other friends, we went to the boys' locker room to kind of gather ourselves, and we had our masks. They were Halloween masks. They were really stupid. Um, we put on our masks, and we walk out of the boys' locker room. And as we're getting closer to this cart, we start picking up speed until we're sprinting full speed toward the snack cart and we get to the snack cart and we grab all the snacks that we can in our arms and we take off towards this hall that's like empty nobody is down this hall well around the corner is another one of our friends who's like just there with a bag he's just waiting so we all dump the stuff that we took in the bag and we put the masks in the bag and then we the four of us split four different ways and we we thought it was hilarious and it was the whole school was buzzing 
they were, they were all talking about it and actually um, talking about it the rest of the school year. So like mission accomplished for us, right? Well, little did we know that the school did not like this very, very much. And though we had masks, um, the school had a, a resource officer who was actually a policeman that worked inside the school, and he was reviewing the footage uh, of this heist, and um, he saw us walk out of the locker room with our masks on, and one of the guys had a big old nine on the back of his shirt. Um, and he's reviewing this footage in his office. Well, my friend Adam, who was a part of this heist, he was one of the he was one of the people in the heist. He was an office aide in the same office that this police officer was kind of reviewing the footage in. And the police officer sees this guy with the nine on his back of his shirt, and he, he pauses, and he looks out of the door, and he can see my friend Adam's back. And what do you think is on Adam's back? A big old nine. <laughs> so he, he calls Adam, hey, Adam, come in here for a second. So Adam walks into the room, and he points to the kid with the nine on his back on the screen. He says, Adam, can you tell me who that is? And he goes, yeah, that's me. He, he, he didn't even try to lie. He didn't even try to hide it or come up with an excuse. Yeah, that's me. And, and our plan began to unravel. And we all, got, we all got suspended from school for that. But not like it didn't end there. The school actually pressed charges on us. And um, since we weren't adults, we had to go to teen court, it was called. And um, we had to stand before a judge. We were criminals guilty of a crime. We had to stand before a judge and we had to let the punishment just happen to us. There was nothing we could do or say. We were guilty. We had to stand there and receive our punishment. And there was nothing we could do to get out from underneath the consequences. We just had to, we just had to pay it. The, the consequences were doled out. And um, on top of being suspended, I was fined and I had to serve like 50 hours of community service to like make restitution for this crime I had committed. Um, we didn't see it as a crime, but it, it was a crime. We stole, right? And so, um, I, I, like I said, there's nothing we could do to get out from underneath that. We had to pay the price for our crime. And that is what justice is. That's justice, right? Like when you commit a crime, you're guilty of that crime and you have to pay a price for that crime. That's justice. In the, American, in the American justice system, sometimes the, the punishment fits the crime. Sometimes the punishment is outrageous and unfair. Sometimes the punishment is too lenient, right? That, that's just the way it is in, in our society. I know a friend of a friend who um, he was uh, accused, tried, and convicted of embezzling money from the church he pastored, and he went to jail for almost 10 years. That... I mean, that's crazy. I, like, I know somebody that happened to. That's insane to me. If I were to say the name Bernie, Ma Bernie Madoff, do you guys know who that is? For, for those of you who don't know who that is, Bernie Madoff is an infamous investor who um, admitted to turning his wealth management business into a Ponzi scheme. Not just any Ponzi scheme, the biggest Ponzi scheme in the history of finances, where he stole over $64 billion, with a B, dollars. Tens of thousands of lives destroyed, right? He was sentenced to 150 years in prison without probation. I think the punishment fit the crime for him, right? In some states, there are, um, in some states, um, depend, depending on what state uh, certain crimes are committed in, death might even be the appropriate, the appropriate um, punishment 
for, for that crime, right? A life for a life. There are um, extremely rare circumstances, though, where prisoners, guilty people, actually get to go free. Really rare circumstances where somebody commits a crime and they don't actually have to end up paying for that crime. In the American justice system, most of the time that has to do with an error in the process. Something got messed up along the way, and because of a technicality, somebody who's guilty actually gets to walk free. What about in the kingdom of God? How does God decide what punishment's fair and what's not? How, like, can prisoners go free in the kingdom of God? Is that even a thing? How, how, how does that happen? What circumstances are there in the kingdom of God in which prisoners are allowed to go free? They don't have to pay for their crimes. How can this happen? I want to look at what the Word of God has to say today because I think the Word of God has something profound to tell us about this today. Uh, But before I do, would you pray with me? Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for your Word and thank you for your grace, God, that, that you have made a way for us to be with you. You've made a way for us to get to you. I just ask God today that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to what your word has to tell us today. God, have your way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up or turn them on to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 9. Um, today is a pretty lengthy portion of Scripture, um, so stick with me. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like a, a little bit of, you know, long going through it, but, but there's a payoff, I promise. Stick with me. Um, whenever I preach, I like to preach from a perspective of there and then. I say this almost every week. To understand the words of the Bible, I believe we have to understand the world of the Bible. We have to understand what was going on in, in the biblical times to understand why the things in the Bible were said. And so um, <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 9, it says, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? Not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the Scriptures say, now really quickly, whenever you see in the Bible somebody say, as the Scriptures say, they're getting ready to quote Scripture. They're getting ready to quote Scripture, and in all cases, they're, vo- they're quoting the Old Testament because the New Testament didn't exist yet. So, so the Apostle Paul is getting ready to quote the Old Testament. Let's see what he has to say. Let's see what he has to quote. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Here the Apostle Paul is quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Verse 13, their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Here the Apostle Paul is quoting from Psalm 5 and Psalm 140. Verse 14, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. He's quoting Psalm 10 here. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. He's quoting Isaiah 59 here. That's six quotes. They have no fear of God at all. He's quoting Psalm 36. Seven quotes to to make his case against humanity. Verse 19, obviously the law applies to those to, to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. No one can ever be made right 
with God by doing what the law commands. No one can ever be made right by doing what the law commands. Let that sink in for a second. No one can ever be made right by doing what the law commands. This is not my opinion. This is not my opinion. This is the word of God through the Apostle Paul to his church. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So stop trying to make, make yourself right in his sight by doing the right things. That's a useless exercise. That is useless. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law shows us how messed up we are. It shows us uh, how doomed we are. It reveals to us that God has us dead to rights. That's the purpose of God's law, is to show us that we are utterly hopeless without Him. The law shows us that if we're going to live, if we're going to survive our wickedness, we need someone to rescue us. We need someone to set us free from the power of sin. Now, just because the law, uh, he says the law doesn't make us right in the eyes of God, it doesn't mean the law is now invalid. Because it's not that now all of a sudden the law doesn't make us right, it's the law never made us right. That was never the purpose. God gave us his law to show us what it looks like to be his image on earth. Genesis chapter 1, this is in the very beginning, God created humans to be his image on earth and he gave us his law to show us what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be my image, that's what the law does. But we can't do it on our own, we can't follow the law without the help of his spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul says something that caught my attention. He says, obviously, obviously the law applies to whom it was given. Obviously. He's saying that the law is not now invalid. The law still applies. The law of God, the Torah, it's a window into the heart of God, and it shows us what God cares about. Now, that is a whole other sermon for a whole other time. I'm not going to get into that, but obviously the law of God still applies to whom it was given. It was given to his people. It still applies, but it doesn't make us right. That's what he's trying to help us understand. The law still applies, but it just doesn't make us right. It doesn't, doesn't set us right with God. So this whole, this whole chunk that I just read, verse 9 through 20, it's like a court case. The apostle Paul is like a, a prosecutor, and he's making his final arguments in the case of God versus humanity. And he brought in the smoking gun, right? The law of God. The law of God says that humans are, are guilty in the sight of God. The law of God says that humans have sinned against him and that we deserve death. He, he actually quotes seven Old Testament scriptures. Now, really quickly, in the Bible, the number seven has significance, right? The number seven represents completeness, he, re he uh, quoted seven verses, and there are some theologians that hypothesize that he, he quoted seven verses from the Old Testament to show how completely doomed we are, to make the point that we are completely and utterly hopeless without him, that we deserve complete annihilation, complete death. God has us dead to rights. The Apostle Paul would make a great prosecutor. He made compelling arguments. So now what? Like case closed, right? Not quite. Verse 21, but God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. This is possibly the biggest but in scripture. 
The hope of our future rides on this but. But now God has shown us a way to be made right without keeping the requirements of the law. This but ushers in hope. This but shows us that God is going to do something that covers over everything wicked we've ever done. It ushers in the solution to humanity's sin problem. See, throughout the Old Testament, God's uh, holiness and moral integrity is proclaimed. And, and it's also proclaimed that, that the truth that human beings can't attain righteousness on our own, like that's true too. We cannot be righteous on our own. We can't do right things on our own. It says so in Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah was a prophet that, that wrote... Um, he, he had writings and, and he had inspiration, revelation from God 600 years before the book of Romans was written. And this is what he has to say. Isaiah 64, verse 5 and 6. You welcome those who gladly do good. You, you follow godly way, who, who follow godly ways. But you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. He's saying, apart from you, God, anything good we do isn't good. Outside of you, God, any good that we do, it's not good. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the winds. We are not good. Human beings are inherently evil. Society would have you believe that human beings are generally good, and we learn to do bad over time. That is not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says we are born sinful, and we want to do wrong all the time, and we need somebody to save us from that. Apart from God, we do nothing good. It's right here in Scripture. We need somebody to save us. We are not good. Left to our own devices, we destroy ourselves. We destroy each other. Without the intervention of God, there is no hope for life for us. But, but, God made a way for us to be right with him outside of keeping the requirements of the law. Without trying to accomplish righteousness on our own. What a miracle. What a miracle. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. He says something here that not a lot of us can wrap our heads around. This is true for everyone who believes. Everyone. Everyone who believes. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, no matter what you've said, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're going, no matter where you are, everyone can be made right with God. Everyone. If a human being puts their faith and trust in Jesus, they are made right in the eyes of God. Period. I think this is hard for us who are rule followers, right? It's, it's hard for people who see the world in black and white. Like, that's not fair. You, you mean to tell me that some murderer can... Like, be right in the eyes of God? Absolutely. That's what the Word of God says. That's not fair. I, I don't make the rules, man. It's God who makes the rules. Everyone who believes is made right in His eyes. Faith in Jesus is the only prerequisite to eternal life. 
Verse 23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God and he makes people right with himself by, only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we, we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So the Apostle Paul is, is prosecuting the human race in the, in the court case of God versus humanity. And he just, he just made a really compelling case against us. A very strong case that humans are guilty of the crimes of sin, evil, wickedness. An airtight argument that nobody can poke holes in. No one can deny it. And now it's, it's the sentencing phase of the trial. And the judge has actually presented two options. You can be tried and convicted of your crimes. You can be, you know, you can be guilty and you can suffer the punishment that comes with the guilt of your crimes. Or, or, you can go free. And, and the judge is actually letting the, the convict, he's letting humanity make the choice. You make the choice. The, joy, the choice is either death or life. You choose. Be found guilty of your crimes and receive the fair punishment, which is death, or be set free forever and never have to suffer the consequences your crimes deserve. Sadly, there are people who are presented with these choices and they still choose death. They still choose to, to receive the punishment that their crime deserves. They choose death. Still, there are more people that don't even know they're on trial. They have no idea that they're on trial, and, and even more, they have no idea that they're cho- they have a choice. That How sad. But there are a few of us, we've chosen the second option. We've chosen to go free. We've chosen to be set free forever, never having to suffer the consequence of our sin. The consequence of our crimes. But how? How can prisoners go free? If we are guilty, how, how are we able to go free? It doesn't make sense to me. Every crime deserves a punishment. Well, there's one verse in, in the 26 I just read that I think highlights that, that it's, it's the, the, the key to prisoners going free. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. There are three elements to this verse that together make the key to a prisoner going free. The first element is this. It's justification. Justification. All are justified freely. Justification is the declaration of righteousness. 
That's what justification is. Justification is, is, is God declaring you are right. You are right with me. That's what justification is. And God declares our righteousness, not the world, not your family, not your friends, not Hollywood, not the government, not social activists. No one else is able to declare righteousness than God. God declares it. And he's made it available. He's made this justification available to all people. Um, back in Robin's hometown of uh, Beatrice, Nebraska, there is this group of people called the Beatrice Six. Um, and this is, this is a true story. It's really sad, but this is a true story. Um, about 25 years ago or so, these six people in Beatrice, Nebraska, a little small town in Nebraska, were accused, tried, and convicted of murder. And they were all sent to prison for the rest of their life. This, again, true story. Um, they swore up and down they were innocent. Their families swore up and down they were innocent. No one would listen because the evidence pointed to them as the culprits. They committed this crime. They were going to serve time for their crime. Well, as the years went on, technology got better, and the case was actually reopened, and the justice system in Nebraska found that actually none of these six people were involved in that crime at all. None of them. They spent over 20 years in prison for a crime they didn't commit. They, they said for 20 years, we're innocent, we didn't do it. Their family said for 20 years, we're innocent, we didn't do it. They weren't allowed to go free, though, until the judge made the decision that they could go free. The judge made the, deci the, uh, the decision for them to go free. No one else made that decision. And that's how it is for us. We're guilty of our crimes, of sin, of wickedness, of evil, until the judge says we can go free. That's how, that's how it works for us, and that's what justification is. God saying, I see your sin, I see your crimes, but because of what Jesus did, you're right. You're okay. You're, you're free to go. Somebody already paid your, 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 your price. That's how it is for us. Humanity is guilty until the judge declares otherwise. And this is what the Apostle Paul is proclaiming today. Prisoners can go free because, because the judge says so. So that's the first element that makes up the key to a prisoner going free. It's justification. The declaration of righteousness. The second element to a prisoner going free is grace. Grace. And all are justified freely by His grace. Biblical grace is defined as unmerited favor, undeserved goodwill, unearned compassion. That is what grace is. God justifies us. He declares us righteous, but we don't have anything to do with it. We don't have anything to make that happen. There's nothing we can do or say to make God see us as righteous. There's nothing. He freely offers it. And, and the cool thing is, is because of his grace, we're 100% justified right now. We're not justified fully eventually. It, it doesn't like increase or decrease over time like the stock market, right? Because of God's grace, we're 100% justified right now. And here's the cool thing about grace. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a gift. Grace is a gift that God gives freely. And all we have to do is receive it. But here's what, here's what I know about gifts. Unless the recipient receives it, the gift is invalid to that recipient. 
unless, unless the recipient receives the grace, it doesn't count. Um, a couple years ago, um, Robin experienced a giftless Christmas. That's what she would tell you. I would tell you otherwise. I'd tell you she got a lot of gifts for Christmas. Um, there's a story there, so let me tell you it really quick. Um, so a couple months before Christmas 2020, Robin is helping Titus put together a Christmas list, and he's having a blast, and he loves doing that stuff. So after they're done, he has this brilliant idea. Mom, let me help you put together a Christmas list. So she's like, okay, fine, you know, whatever. They start writing things down, earrings and shoes and watch band and socks and all these other things. And, and um, in my head, I'm like, oh, this is great. I don't, I don't even have to probe and ask. She wrote down everything she wants. And so I took that list and I started purchasing gifts for Robin for Christmas. Well, Christmas Day comes and she opens the gifts and great. Oh, thank you, all this stuff. Well, later as the boys went to bed, she asked me, she goes, what possessed you to get me all these, all these things? And I'm like, what? I go, they were on your list. She goes, what list? I didn't make a list. I said, the list you made with Titus. And she goes, that wasn't a real list. And, and, and I just thought it was really funny because I was like, you made the list. You made it yourself. And we had this argument going back and forth. And um, here's what happened. Um, I wanted to surprise her. So I was like, I'll take the list and I'll surprise her. But the problem was um, the list was just general items. It was like earrings, but it wasn't like any type or brand of earrings. It just said earrings, <laughs> right? It, it said shoes. It didn't have any brand or type of shoes. It just said shoes. So I was like, oh, she just wants to be surprised. So let me, let me surprise her, you know? And so anyways, all that to say like Robin didn't see those as valid Christmas gifts because they weren't her real list. So she, she would argue to this day that she didn't get any gifts because she didn't receive them as Christmas gifts. That's a silly illustration to say, like, God gives his grace as a gift, but we have to receive it for it to be valid in our lives. He cannot make us receive it. He cannot make us accept it. We have to freely accept that gift that he freely gives. He's the perfect gentleman. He's never going to force himself on you. You have to receive it. He gives it freely. You have to receive it. Grace is a gift from God, but we have the choice of whether or not we want to accept it. So justification is the first element of the key that lets the prisoner go free. The second element of the key that lets the prisoner go free is grace. The third element is this, redemption. Redemption. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Deliverance upon payment of ransom. Rescue. Restoration. Correcting past wrongs. This is the definition of redemption. Um, I don't know about you, but I have a very, specific, um, a very specific thing that comes to mind when I hear the word redemption. When I hear the word redeemed. Something very specific comes to mind. It's a movie scene. Um, and I think it illustrates, it, it illustrates the point of redemption really well in my opinion. See, this movie is about um, two friends who they're driving across the country to return an item that somebody lost. And these friends, they're, they don't have money. Um, they have a couple hundred bucks to their name for gas, and they have a van. That's all they have. But they're going to get this item back to this person. And along the way, um, at one of their late-night pit stops, um, they, they ended up making a wrong turn, and they started driving in the wrong direction. 
and they ran out of gas, and they ran out of money, they couldn't get gas, they were stranded on the side of the road, and so they turned on each other. Um, and then, and then there's the scene of redemption, and I want you to watch it right now. You guys have that queued up? Got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. Where did you find that? Some kid back in town. Traded the van for it straight up. I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. You know, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> Still want to go to Aspen? Oh, yeah! Okay, let's Super. go, buddy! So, that's where I learned the word redeemed for the first time when I was a kid. You go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. But... The point is, he made up for a past wrong. He, made, he rescued the plan. He, he restored the plan. And that's what Jesus did for us. He, he suffered and he died and he was buried to correct our past mistakes. He suffered, he died, and was buried to make right the wrongs of so many other people. He suffered and he died and he buried to rescue us from death, to rescue us from sin, to rescue us from the burden of having to be righteous on our own, to rescue us from the weight of the law. He suffered, died, and was buried to redeem us. Because Jesus died on the cross and he defeated death, hell, and the grave, he now has the authority to justify anyone. Jesus, see, justification, I talked about God making us right, declaring righteousness. Justification means nothing without the authority of Jesus' redemption. Justification means nothing without the authority of Jesus' redemption. Because he, he defeated death and sin. He ha now has the authority to justify anybody he wants. Redemption through the spilled blood of Jesus for the remission of sin. That's what makes this all possible. Redemption that came through, through Jesus, it cleansed us. It, it cleansed us of impurity. It cleansed us of sin so that God could dwell inside us so that we didn't have to be separate from him anymore. That's what, re that's what the redemption of Jesus accomplished. That we could be close to God always. That we didn't have to live without God anymore. He removed all barriers. He removed all blockades to keep us from getting to him. He removed it all so that we had a clear path. This is a love story. This is a love story, what's going on. This is redemption. Um, when I was in high school, I had a friend named Jared, and me and Jared loved hanging out together. Um, in particularly, we liked to go into like restaurants and like you know trying out new restaurants and stuff. But here was the problem: Jared had money and I didn't. <laughs> so 
Every time Jared suggested, hey, let's go get, let's go get something to eat, I, this was my response. I don't have any money, sorry. And his response to me was always, you don't have money to pay? Don't worry, I got you. And, and I, would try, I would turn him down like, because it would be embarrassing, right? I don't want somebody to pay for me all the time. I'd turn him down, oh, no, that's okay. He goes, Ryan, don't, don't worry about it. I got you. I, I don't want to go alone. I want you to come with me. And to me, that's the perfect picture of Jesus' redemption for us. He's saying, oh, you don't, have, you don't have a way to pay for the wrongs that you did? Don't worry, I got you. See, I don't want to go to the Father alone. I want you to come with me. Don't worry, I got you. That's what redemption is. The redemption that, that, of Jesus, that's, that's what he did for us. I don't want to go alone. Don't worry, I got you. So these are the elements that are key to allowing prisoners to go free. Justification, grace, redemption. Justification, grace, redemption. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is how prisoners go free. Justification, grace, redemption. What if we actually believed this about God and we stopped trying to earn his favor? How would your lives look different? How, how could things be different for you in your relationships if, if, if we started living this way? How much more free would you feel if you just accepted the grace of God instead of trying to earn it, instead of, instead of trying to pay it back? What if you just accepted it as a gift? The cool thing about good news is it's not just for us to like hoard. It's not just for us to keep to ourselves. Who in your life needs this good news? Who in your context of life, at your school, at your job, in your family, in your friend group, who needs to hear this good news? Justification, grace, redemption. Whoever you're thinking of right now, it's not an accident that you're thinking of that person. Like, I, I believe that God puts you in that person's life in this moment of time for this reason, so that you could share the good news with them. You could share with them about justification, grace, redemption. You are here for a purpose in this place and time, and it's to share this with people. What if we, what if we took that seriously? What if we started sharing justification, grace, redemption? with those in our lives? What if? Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you um, that you make us right in your sight. You declare us righteous in your sight, God, and you do that by your grace. You offer that gift freely. Thank you, God. God, today I recognize that, that I can't be righteous on my own. I need your help. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help me. Help me with that. Help me when I struggle with my own self-image. Help me when, when I feel guilty, when I feel shame. God, help me remember the blood applied, the redemption of Jesus that made all of this happen. We love you. Give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There might be someone in this room or a couple people in this room or maybe you're online and you're listening to this and, and 
you don't know about justification. You don't understand grace. You don't know about the redemption of Jesus. But you want to. Today could be the day where everything changes for you, where, where you say yes to Jesus and you start walking in that justification. You accept that grace. The realization of redemption becomes real. That could, today could be that day for you. I want to give you that opportunity. If you don't know Jesus today, but you say, I want to be justified. I want to receive that grace. At the, at the count of three, I want to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Um, I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I don't want to um, single anyone out. So I'm going to ask everybody right now um, to bow your heads and close your eyes. But at the count of three, if that's you, you say, I don't know Jesus, but today I want to. I want to I experience justification. I want to receive his grace. If that's you today, I want to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. One, God loves you so much. Two, you are justified by his grace through the redemption of Jesus. Three, if that's you right now, raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying with. Raise them high so I know who I'm praying with. Jesus, 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 Jesus. What I want to do right now is if you, if you did raise your hand or maybe you didn't but you know you should have, or maybe you raised your hand and you're online. I, can't see, I couldn't see your hand. I want to pray with you right now. I want to lead you in a prayer that's just the beginning of a faith walk with the Lord. So right now, I, I want to invite everyone in the house. I want to invite everyone in the room to, to pray this prayer with me so that nobody feels singled out. Nobody feels, um, nobody feels alone. Everyone pray this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, today I recognize that I am a sinner. Today I recognize that I'm guilty before you. I need to be justified. I, I receive your grace. I recognize your redemption. I say today that you are Lord and I believe you raised your son from the dead. Have your way in me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for those who prayed that prayer today? That's awesome. Right now, I just want to take a moment and I just want to reflect. I just want to reflect. I want to give God praise. I, want to, I, want to, I just want to focus on God. So, the worship team is going to lead us in a song, and I want to invite you to stand with me. Um, just take this time to, to process, to, to reflect, to pray.